Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health. And maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea. And your favorite cardigan. And we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys, welcome to Selfie. Well, today we're going to be answering a listener question about how do you know when it's time to seek an ADD diagnosis for a kid? How do you know the difference between just something they're going to grow out of versus something that needs intervention? We're also going to be talking about TikTok again today. I mean, I guess when we talk about pop culture and psychology, we can't really avoid TikTok. Right. (laughs) But we're going to be talking about this phenomena of TikTok enabling predatory ADD advertisements to target young users. We thought that this was a good bookend in talking about how to know when our kids are having ADD because TikTok is telling many of us that we have ADD. Yep. So we'll dive into that in a bit. Um, Matthias, how is your mental health this week? I am exhausted, Kristen. Oh, no. (laughs) And I realize... Like that makes sense coming off of what I've been talking about it these other weeks. It <laughs> probably does make sense. <laughs> you are books, writing a book <laughs> and relaunching your other podcast. Totally. But, you know, I think this ex- exhaustion, it, it, it's not just exhaustion. It's, it's tiredness. It's, it's. I think we've mm-hmm. talked about this before, the, this, the procrastination that happens at night when I go to bed late. Like this happened to me last night. I went to sleep at like 1 a.m., even though I got into bed at nine hmm. and what happened? I just watched TV. Okay. I procrastinated. I like, yeah. And was it and like that revenge procrastination mm-hmm. of like, yes, I've yes, had yes. nothing enjoyable all day. Give me this kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. yes, it was that. And some of it was still even work. Like some of the, what I was watching was like training videos. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was like, why am I doing this to Thrilling. myself? Thrilling. <laughs> right? I mean, you got to give yourself some joy. So obviously a work training video is. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling that and, and that question of why do I do this to myself? And yet, like, it felt really fun in some ways to stay up till 1 a.m. Because like, I can do anything I want. Yeah. And I'm so tired today. So... Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I mean, I, that is such a hard cycle to get out of like mm-hmm. that, you know, end of day, like I want something for myself. And I mean, I do it too. And I will think at night, like I deserve this. And in the morning, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? It's such a, it's such a weird dichotomy, because it feels like self care in the moment. Yeah. And then right. it's doesn't feel like self care the next day. Yeah, <laughs> not right. so much. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I know, like, I know we've talked about that before, but it it is real. And it is so easy to fall into 
where the next morning you're going like, well, I also I also deserve sleep. Right. <laughs> right. Jen Hatmaker oh. talks about this like idea of your morning self and your evening self mm. and your morning self loving your evening self and vice versa. And I often think of that too. I'll, when I'm laying there, I'm like, this feels fun for my evening self. Right. But how is my morning self going to feel? Yeah. Morning me is not going to be happening. No. And invite, you know, vice versa. Like if I don't make my bed in the morning, how is evening self going to feel? Or if I throw my clothing on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I throw my clothing on a chair, Matthias. So much better. (laughs) So much better. It doesn't count. I gave up on the bed making years ago. I don't make my bed either. Yeah, I just do not. Unless company is coming. That's the only thing. Same. Oh, of course. And then I like mad rush make my bed. But no, I never make my bed. Yeah. Or the one day that I wash my sheets a week. Yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I did read something about how having your bed unmade is actually better for airing out your sheets and i'm just gonna go with that i'm gonna go with that yes like the bacteria or whatever yes so i'm not making my bed for my health (laughs) let's go with that yes Uh, how are you doing i'm also tired i am i'm in a i'm in a hard season with co-parenting and divorce Mm. and i've talked about it a little bit before But I'm just, you know, there is nothing quite like the experience of co-parenting with, you know, someone that you maybe find toxic or, you know, find very stressful because it is, it's a unique sense of being trapped, right? Mm -hmm. Like with pretty much any other relationship, I mean, even with toxic parents, you can choose to cut off. And, and you can, you know, you can say, okay, this is toxic. Um, I don't want to be treated this way anymore. I'm going to set some boundaries and I'm going to, you know, go no contact. But like, you can't go no contact with an ex that you're still parenting minors with. Mm-hmm. So I just, it continues to be a very difficult experience for me. And I'm working really hard on how to have individuation in the middle of the scenario because I can't, you know, I, I don't have closure. Yeah. There will be no closure until they're grown. Um, but, but how to live in the middle of it, have some radical acceptance for what it is, um, not be in a constant state of overdeveloped sense of justice and then being upset. Mm. And I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. I, it's hard for me not to get triggered and rankled by the scenario, yep. by the unfairness of it, by the poor treatment, by the, oh my gosh, can you believe what I'm having to put up with? It's hard not to be in a constant cycle of outrage. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> something wrong is happening. Something wrong is happening. And yep. in, in, in any other scenario, you know... If this, if I were my own friend, I would be like, break up with this person or don't talk to this person. But like, that's not an option. Right. Right. That's not an option. And it's interesting. I mean, we don't have a lot of mental health advice out there for how do you deal with a toxic person you can't get away from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm just working really hard on that. Are you finding anything 
that feels like it's at least a little bit helpful? Um, yes. One of the things that my therapist gave me was this narrative of you're not invited here, meaning my headspace. And so, you know, when I'm laying in bed thinking about the injustice of whatever my ex did that day, (laughs) which I do a lot, you know, or whatever, you know, bullshit I was fed, you know, I will think you're not invited in my bedroom, like Mm -hmm. you're not invited in my head. Um, And so just trying to limit the amount of mental energy I give to it. Which is a very difficult thing to do because when you're in a scenario with a person who's activating and triggering, particularly when, you know, that person knows your vulnerabilities and and they're intentionally triggering, it's very hard to just be like, I'm going to mentally let that go. Right. You know, (laughs) I very much fall into the like what I should have said and what I'm going to say and what, you know, like outrage. Yeah. That that place of setting boundaries in your own mental space. In your own head. Like, I feel like it's so yeah. hard. It and, is. But I remember the first time my therapist introduced that to me of uh-huh. like, well, you don't have to think that. Yes. You, you don't have to feel that. Yeah. It, it, like, when I get, I was like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean I don't have? Like, because I think so much mental advice right now, mental health advice is like, feel your feelings. All your feelings are valid, which is true. But the we also can put boundaries around that. Okay, Matthias, we have to talk about that in a future episode. Yes. Because I am honestly getting very irritated by this. Like, it seems to be a very pervasive self-help mantra of like, all feelings are valid, mm-hmm. or I have big feelings and that's okay. And I just feel like a lot of people are... um. They're unable to see the value of having boundaries in your own brain. Yes. So we need to come back to that. Let's put a pin in that. Because you're, I mean, let's say that I followed that advice in this scenario. Then what I would be telling myself is all of my feelings about this are valid and I have big feelings and that's okay. So what is, where does that lead me? And just sitting in outrage all the time. Escalation, escalation, escalation. Escalation. Right. Right. And I am absolutely valid. I'm, 100% valid to feel frustration. Yes. But it's not a healthy place for me to live. No. And then, you know, and then there comes a point where I need to actively move myself out instead of embracing my feelings. (laughs) Right. Our feelings are not always serving us. No. And like just feeling them for the sake of feeling them isn't necessarily going to be helpful. No. It can sometimes make things worse. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really want to come back to that topic. It's a really yep. good one. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, uh, solidarity to all of our divorced co-parenting listeners. Mm-hmm. What do you have for your two thumbs up? Yeah. So this is a new car rental app <laughs> that oh, interesting. I used a while ago. It's called Kite, K-Y-T-E, okay. Kite Car Rental. It's available in 14 different markets around the U.S. right now. Uh, so they're still fairly new, uh, but they it's an all-app-based car rental service. You just hop in your app, you, you know, choose the date, the time. They drop the car off to your house. And... Ooh. 
like you don't have to go pick it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. They just roll up. You you know verify that you got the car, and then when you're done with it, they come pick it up. And so, like for me, when I don't have a car, <laughs> right, uh, it makes it really hard, you know, to get down to the airport or downtown yeah. or whatever where the you know car rentals are. Um, it's so streamlined and so easy. And the the thing that I love most about it is that, at least for me, when I was using it, it was cheaper than mm-hmm. renting a car from some of the major agencies. Um, so not only did I have to go, not have to go pick it up, they, it was cheap. So loved every, it was so seamless, so easy. Um, I'm going to be using them whenever I rent a car from here on forward. Okay, dude, I'm, I'm totally going to use this too. First of all, I'm quickly looking and their reviews are outstanding, which yeah. for a car rental place to have outstanding reviews unheard is unheard of. Unheard of. <laughs> but second of all, I mean, I have had the worst experiences with car rental companies this past yes. year. And yes, I know we're in a pandemic, but here's the thing. Pre-pandemic, these car places know how many cars they have. Mm-hmm. Like if you know you don't have the inventory – and you still sell a car rental to a person who shows up to the airport and then doesn't have a car. That's not about the pandemic. That's about you overselling. Yeah. <laughs> and that has happened to me so many times this year where I've just shown up. I've had a reservation, in some cases even prepaid the reservation. And they're like, we have no car for you. We can get you a car in a week. That's ridiculous. And you're like, cool. I don't know how I'm going to get anywhere on my vacation now. Right. It's horrible. So, and then did you hear about, this was a really interesting news story. Hertz hurts. Yes. You know what I'm talking (laughs) about? I'll let you say it, but yes, I did hear this. (laughs) Where they were um, not, they were turning in people as having stolen cars. Yep. And these were people that returned their cars. And then these people were getting arrested. Am I yes. telling it right? Well, yeah, like that. And then I read one about some lady who her, they picked, she was like staying at some Airbnb and then came and picked up her car in the middle of the yeah. night yeah. and then reported it as stolen. Yes. And she didn't even have the car anymore. But like she was able to prove uh-huh. through security camera footage and like all she had to do all this work, but she was able to prove like they were the ones who picked up the car. Oh my gosh. I mean, they have like ruined people's lives. Yes. Like there's people that served years in jail until they got, it's insane. Yeah. No, thank you. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to look into Kite. Ooh, that makes me feel good because I mean, honestly, I've had such bad experiences that we were just talking about this yesterday. We've been talking about like for future vacations because we do home exchange so much swapping cars with people too just to avoid yeah. having to use a rental car company right and, and there are a couple of apps out there that let you do that too yeah um yeah but yeah with with kite and the nice thing is like the, i mean they're they're made for the modern world is like you yeah. can just text them like if yes. if you're like you're running late and you're or you're like i want to stay another three days just text them oh, it's and so they'll nice. say it'll cost this much like do you want to do it or not and yeah. like that's all you have to do Oh, so, I love it. Highly recommend. Loved their service. Um, yeah. Okay, Kite. that's awesome. I had to try that. Now, what about you? Um. All right. What do I have today? Oh my gosh, this is a little nerdy, but 
you know, I'm on the quest for reusable everything. Yes. Trying to reduce my carbon footprint and whatnot. Um, I'm also trying to use less plastic. This is a plastic product, um, but I'll explain why in a minute. But it's it's a multi-use plastic product. So I have been on the search for good reusable straws. Mm. First, I got the metal ones. Those are very popular. Yeah. My issue with the metal straws is you cannot see inside them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I every single time I drink through a reusable metal straw, I think to myself, there is like mold up and down this straw that I can't see. <laughs> oh. Right? Because you can't see inside of it and they're really thin. And it's like, how do you know if they're clean? Right. Especially yeah. if you drink smoothies all day like I do. Well, S- yeah, and you can't. I mean, from working in a restaurant where we had reusable metal straws, you can't run them in the dishwasher. No, you got to use the little thing, the little right. you know plunger guy. Yeah, I guarantee you, those bartenders are not carefully uh-uh. cleaning those straws every night before they go home. Like no. <laughs> so I had the metal straws. I decided I don't like those. Then I bought glass straws. Which are fun, but the problem is to get a glass straw long enough, because I like longer straws, mm-hmm. it, it, it then does become very easy to break. And breaking a glass straw in your dishwasher or in your sink is bad news. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> I've right. done it. Cool. So anyway, these are plastic, but they're clear. They're really long and they're fat, so they, they can fit boba. But even if I'm not drinking boba, I just like these fat straws. So they're really tall. They're super easy to clean. They're see-through so you can see if you have mold (laughs) or (laughs) junk on the sides. And I just find them to have, I know this is going to sound weird, but a pleasurable mouthfeel. That sounds important. (laughs) It does, right? Like they're kind of soft. Yeah. Because I also, like, I was doing paper straws for a while, and they get, like, get mushy in your mouth. (laughs) Gross. Mm -hmm. I actually like the way these feel more than the metal, because I feel like the metal ones are always kind of clinking your teeth in a weird way. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm obsessed with these reusable clear boba straws that I got on Amazon. I got eight of them for $6. So, that also felt very cheap. And then I do actually throw these. I I will plunge them, and then I throw them in the dishwasher. And so far, so good. That's so great. Like, yeah. I, like that straw thing is is a constant struggle. Yes. <laughs> Especially because they, they outlawed plastic straws here in Seattle. Like, it, maybe, I don't know if it's that same way in, where you're at, but like... You know, it's super weird that they haven't in California yet. Yeah. I, yeah. As, I actually think it's odd that they haven't. Yeah, that's, that feels odd to me too. But yeah, but here, like we have to like they either have to be compostable or whatever but like what most people have done is just eliminated straw use in general like yes. starbucks switched over to those you know sippy cups instead yes of, ours has done that too yeah right um but there was a while there where everyone was using paper straws and it was horrible it's they're gross, <laughs> they're so gross. they really do like disintegrate <laughs> in your mouth like midway through the drink it has collapsed on itself yep <laughs> it's not fun so yes that's my my happy straw story six bucks highly recommend i will link those up Mm. all right talk us through this listener question yeah so this one i think is so important uh 
listeners wondering, how do you know when it's time to seek an ADD or ADHD diagnosis for school-age kids? Mm -hmm. And the question of what is something they'll grow out of versus what is something that is actually concerning that maybe needs intervention? Uh, How do you kind of navigate those things when it's unclear? Yeah. Well, I have lots to say about this. My first husband had ADD. My current mm. partner has ADD, and I have one kid with ADD. You're an um, So, yes, I'm surrounded. So the first question I would ask is, why do you want a diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Not that not, – and I want to say that not in a judgmental way, but I would just say, like, wh- like, what's important for you in the diagnosis? And the reason I say this is, you know, it, it is a bit of a burden to go through the process of getting a diagnosis. Um, sometimes insurance doesn't even cover it. So if your child is doing okay in school, now this person is saying their child is struggling, but it seems to be on par with the struggles of all the kids in the grade level. Mm -hmm. But so I would say, first of all, is like, do you feel that you need an official diagnosis? Um, Because if your child is doing okay, if it's not affecting their schoolwork, if it's not affecting them socially, you know, that's a question to ask yourself. Um, and then in terms of how do you know when something might be ADD versus just typical stuff, I would say that that is the criteria too. Are they, are they having ill effects at school? Are they struggling academically? Are they struggling socially? Um, because that's a big part of ADD too. I think we tend to focus on the classroom, but kids with ADD tend to struggle socially as well. Mm-hmm. That can look like, um, not having the executive functioning skills to maintain friendships that can look like talking too much, um, being a distraction. We also have in literature that ADD kids tend to be very, um, they, they respond poorly to criticism. Um, so they can be kind of defensive. Um, and then we know when you're asking yourself that question, then I think, um, you know, going forward with, um, a professional who can tell you whether or not it's, you know, just typical kid stuff or ADD. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, full admittance, this is not something that I'm super well versed in. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think especially that going to a professional part, like if it is a question in your mind, yeah, it, it is worth kind of following that through. Yeah. Um, Because you're going to get, yeah, this is something that does need some intervention versus no, like this is normal. And and getting a third party in to kind of help walk through that with you will not hurt. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I I also think just really taking in stride – that an ADD diagnosis is not a life sentence. It, you know, it, it's not a stigma. It shouldn't be, you know, how, and so when you, you know, if, and when you do get that diagnosis, really helping your kid understand like, Hey, this is, you know, um, this is some neurodivergence and lots of people are on a neurodivergence scale. And let's look at all of the famous people we can think of with ADD, or let's look at all of the gifts of ADD. Um, and really not like not letting your kid think of it as a stigma, but also not thinking of it that way yourself as a parent. Because I think a lot of people avoid getting that diagnosis because they don't want it. 
Right. And that's really unfair for kids. Like if there's a kid who is struggling and could be helped with intervention, whether that intervention is an IEP or medication, we don't want to deny our kids interventions that could help them socially or academically. Right. Yeah, because those interventions can make life so much easier. So much easier. And let me say this as someone who has been surrounded by ADD, there is nothing wrong with taking the meds. Right. It is right. a neurochemistry issue. And if you, would dep- if you wouldn't deprive a kid who had diabetes, their insulin, you shouldn't deprive a kid who has a neurochemical issue, their medication. Yeah, now, that feels so important. Right? And I get there can be adverse side effects. There can be reasons for people not to take meds. Um, but I think you should be real clear on those reasons because it really can make or break a child's, f- first of all, academic performance, but more importantly, their feelings about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is a really big one. If they feel like they can succeed at school – that's really important. So I, I think that there is just such a stigma around medication that doesn't need to be there. And the interesting thing about ADD meds is they work paradoxically. So I don't have ADD. If I took an ADD med, I would feel like I was on speed. Mm-hmm. I would feel rushed. I would feel stressed. I would feel amped up. But for people with ADD, because their brain is looking for stimulation when those neurons are given a stimulant, it actually calms them down. It works yeah. in, in that paradoxical approach. So if you give a child a stimulant and it doesn't work, that's a good indication. Maybe they didn't have AD in the, ADD in the first place. Yep. Um, but it, you know, I am very pro medication for kids with ADD. Yeah. And, and I think another thing that's important to highlight is like it, it's getting a diagnosis or, or talking to someone about this it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go find a psychologist um a psychiatrist like a lot of times your general practitioner can can at least ask the right questions yeah a lot of them can even prescribe and do some of the testing it it doesn't have to be a really big deal where you're going maybe outside of your insurance although insurance does make it difficult like there's a both and there yeah um you can go to your general practitioner often, not always. Yeah, Um, definitely depends on the practitioner. There are some that won't touch any psychotropics and there are some that will. Um, But but yes, this this is stuff that should be covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about TikTok and ADD. Speaking of (laughs) ADD. So what is happening with TikTok and enabling advertisers to target users? Yes, this. I mean, this one just feels like it goes on the heels of it, of of what we were just talking about. There uh, is there was a piece that came out in Media Matters a little while ago, talking about how TikTok is enabling predatory advertisers to target young users, particularly around ADD and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if you have spent. <laughs> Anytime on TikTok, oh, yeah. <laughs> you have likely run across an advertisement or an influencer talking about ADD, ADHD, and how you likely have it. Yes. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Look- I mean, TikTok has taught me that I have ADD <laughs> and autism. Yes. 
<laughs> right. Like that the self-diagnosis is yeah. out of this world right now. Yes. For things that are normal. Right? Yes. Like, like this article is talking about how they're tying together um obesity and ADHD. And saying like that obesity is five times more prevalent among adults with ADHD um, and that if you get medicated, you can stop overeating. Maybe that's true, but for mm -hmm. the most part, that is not true. Yeah, and it's so tough. I have such mixed feelings about the, one of the primary advertisers doing this is a service called Cerebral. Mm -hmm. And it is a website Um it's a little bit like better health, but for psychiatrics. Right. So the the price point is lower. The ability to get seen is very fast. And so they have doctors on hand who are making very quick diagnoses and very quick prescriptions. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I have totally sent clients there um, who are struggling with depression, particularly clients that don't have insurance. Right. Who don't have any idea how to get treatment. And, and I'm like, you know what? go over to Cerebral, talk to them, tell them I said this, you know, so I'm almost giving my clients like, you know, tell them my therapist says, and let's see if we can get you on some, some meds. And, you know, that's, that part is great. Where the ADD thing gets very dicey. First of all, ADD meds are a controlled substance and can be very addictive. Yes. I mean, it's math. Mm -hmm. It's a form of math. So that's a little bit scary that people are using quick telehealth to get methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. But second, it does feel like we have made ADD this big catch-all, and now it's monetized. You know, there's there's a a reward for this company to make more diagnoses. Um, and yeah, I mean, as you said, TikTok, it's, it's like suddenly anybody who ever feels spacey or procrastinates has ADD. Right. <laughs> and I also think, you know, there is a fairly well-documented phenomena of COVID overwhelm that we're all living with, right. whether or not you've had COVID. I mean, I think half of us that have lived through COVID could now be diagnosed with ADD, but we don't really have it. Right. It's just the reality of the world we live in. Right. Like, yes, yeah. we're all feeling disassociated and spacey and forgetful. Yeah, and that's where I think the predatory part comes in. Because, yeah, talk about that. Like, I, I think the reality that <laughs> life and capitalism, like multiple companies, Cerebral, another place that they talk about is Done, which that company only uses six questions <laughs> to diagnose Whoa. someone, which is mind-blowing to me. Like, the that profit-driven, like, we're going to just prescribe, in my mind, haphazardly to make a quick buck off of people who may or may not have this diagnosis like it's incomprehensible to me and yet it is happening everywhere and they're preying on people especially kids young adults who do not have the resources to do due diligence yeah um, and that is wrong to me yeah I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I mean, something that just struck me as we're having this conversation about how do I know if my kid has ADD and then TikTok preying on people, I think it might be important for parents to have the conversation about ADD and, and medication of ADD with their kids when they're really young. Yeah. 
Because I can tell you this, I would rather my kid explore all of that with me, with real medical professionals, and then with my supervision if they do decide to medicate, as opposed to them figuring this out when they're a freshman in college on their own. Mm -hmm. 100%. So it's like, maybe we need to be answering this question for our kids, whether it's yes or no, well before they're on their own and trying to navigate this by themselves. Yeah, right. I, I, I want to correct something I just said. I, I, I said that they diagnosed with six questions. That is not true. <laughs> they, use, they use six questions to then see, see if a diagnosis seems likely, and then they make you meet with someone. Uh, yes, I, I know, but we know how these <laughs> online things are. Yes, we do. It's... I mean, I've done a prescription where you know you're just going to get the prescription. Like, you're paying for the prescription. 100%. Like, uh, it reminds me of, you know, in California, before marijuana was legal, you could get a medical card. And like, you yep. literally knew you were going to get it. Like, there was no way they weren't going to prescribe you with a medical marijuana card. Yep. Right. And this feels similar. Feels like the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, like, I mean, the, the predatory thing is one thing The the proliferation of self-diagnosis is one thing. I also have multiple friends and a few clients who have been tested for for ADD, ADHD, and it has been so helpful for them. And the only way they found out was through TikTok. And like it has changed their life (laughs) to get diagnosed, to get on medication, and they're like, I am a whole different person. And and so there is some benefit to this too i completely agree no i'm i'm glad you brought that up because i don't want in any of this conversation to sound skeptical about making mental health info accessible i mean i I think that there's some incredible even tiktok i think there's some incredible information out there yeah and i think we are destigmatizing i mean they're massively destigmatizing autism on tiktok yes um but it, it, yeah, it is just such a tricky thing because there's a lot of people that now that think they have bipolar disorder that don't. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I guess at the end of the day, I would rather see pe- people thinking they have something that they don't versus seeing people that really have something not know. Yes. That feels more dangerous. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that's that question of then how do we responsibly yeah. help people kind of filter and, and go through the, the steps that are actually needed when those questions arise? Well, and I think that this comes back to what we talked about last week, which is that, you know, the burden really lies on these social media companies yes. to vet the content that they're putting out. Mm-hmm. And I get that it's a lot of work. But there's a lot of users, and I suspect that they've got enough money. I mean, when I hear about, you know, what these companies are making in sales, I think that they can afford to figure out how to make sure that, you know, they're not spreading medical misinformation. Right. Yep. Is that going to make me stop using TikTok? Probably not. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we should find... A good AD, you know what we should do? We should find like an official ADD quiz. Yeah. And post it in our selfie Facebook group. That's a good idea. Not a six question one. Right, but but an actual. Like an actual one that is used by actual doctors and post it in there. We'll do that.
Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up, we're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 